All right. Well, let's get to the book of Mark and let's just do some Bible reading today. Take a look at what is going on. Mark chapter one. And my Bible has entitled the first section, the preaching of John the Baptist. And it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Verse two, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Interesting that this prophecy was spoken years ago uh, by Isaiah, by Malachi, and here we find it here in the book of Mark that's being kind of repeated for our listening. But the central theme here is that Jesus was coming for the first time and to do ministry to do the redemptive work and to finish the redemptive work. But yet before that happened, God did some preparatory things. He sent John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist was kind of like the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a kind of a crazy prophet. You know, he's kind of wild and very powerful and people feared Elijah. And he wore camel's <laughs> you know, skin clothing with leather belt and the Bible says that he ate like, you know, different things that were provided for him. Well, John the Baptist was like unto him. He had the same thing on, he had a camel skin kind of thing. I don't know what it looked like, but he had a leather belt around his waist. And the Bible says that he ate locusts and he had wild honey. Now theologians can argue whether a locust was an actual little insect or whether it was from the little carob plant, which they call locusts also. But I tend to think that it was really the insects because people do eat locusts. It's considered a delicacy around the world, especially in Asia and other parts of the other countries. And uh, back in the day, locusts also represented judgment. God used locusts to come against Egypt and locusts were also considered an army of just would come in and devour everything. I think it's strange that God would have John eating those things that were considered judgment and a strong army and John would be eating them with wild honey. I guess the honey would make it go down easier. <laughs> if, you, if you invite me to your house and give me a plate of locusts, I know we're supposed to put everything on the plate and eat what's put before us, but I think I'll use the scripture, put a knife to my appetite <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I don't think I'll be eating your wild locusts right now. I'll figure out some reason my doctor said I shouldn't be having locusts. <laughs> but you know, you can make anything taste good. <laughs> so in verse four, John was sent to make straight and prepare the way of Jesus Christ. And verse four, and John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so I have to think about that for a minute that Jesus was coming, as we read the scriptures, to forgive our sins, but John the Baptist preached a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So you can see that Jesus was not yet revealed. So all John was doing was letting people know that they need to turn from this generation to a new generation that was to come through Jesus Christ. And Jesus was not here yet, so John's job was to preach and he had the people baptized uh, as a sign of washing 
There are baptisms. There are all kinds of baptisms. There are baptisms in the Old Testament, baptisms in the New Testament. One is identity baptism, where we identify with Christ. Another one was baptizing in the Old Testament of the instruments that they used. Uh, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which a lot of theologians have different ideas about what that really is. You know, uh, a lot of people, the Pentecostal believe that it's you, you baptize in the Spirit and you're speaking in tongues and power and God comes on you. Well, the Bible teaches that in that area. And so uh, everybody's not there yet. So, but you have to study, show yourself approved, and learn about those kinds of things. I also believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to find out a little bit more, is not just for you to have power and signs and gifts, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also to make sure that people were born again. Because before Jesus came, John was preaching unto repentance. Nobody got born again until Jesus died on the cross. This was all before Jesus died. So he wanted the people to turn from their wicked ways. And repentance means an about face. It means I'm in one direction, and so I repent, I turn around and go this direction. So it's a new direction that they're going to go. So John was teaching them to look away from this world, but to look unto Jesus who was coming. Listen, verse 4 again. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And then it says in verse 5, And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. He says, And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, I kind of get a picture of that. They're confessing their sins. And I wonder what sins they were confessing. What did John preach about? He's preached about the generation and how wicked it was and how there was a need for God in their life. Because in the Old Testament, you didn't hear anything about anything other than people turning to God turning to God. Well, now Jesus is coming and he's getting ready to reveal to us who God is, but he's going to reveal to us who God is in a sense of an intimate way. God was not looked at as father in the Old Testament. He was looked at as God, Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai, all the names of God represented who he was. But now Jesus comes on the scene and he uses the term my father intimately. Never seen him as father before. It was just God. There's a big separation between man and God. Jesus becomes the mediation. He becomes the advocate. He becomes the one in between God and man. That's so important for us to know. So John's getting ready to point Jesus out, and he's setting these people up for the real deal. In verse 6, And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. So it doesn't seem that John ate anything else other than this. It just says his diet was locusts and wild honey. So he didn't have to think about what he was going to eat every day because he knew. <laughs> well, every day I got to think about what am I going to eat today? You know, it becomes a chore. I get so sick of eating, I don't know what to do. If I had a diet of locusts and wild honey, I wouldn't have to look for anything. <laughs> Verse 7, and he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. You see that in there? And I am not fit to stoop down and to untie the thong of his sandal. Listen, verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see that? I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And some theologians have kind of put together that the Holy Spirit and the water are symbolic. That's what they say. But let's just keep it Bible. He baptized with water, <laughs> and then he baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't need any symbolizings uh, to help me understand that the Holy Spirit is the substance God 
used, God the Holy Spirit, was to come upon the believer at this time. All right? So that, that's enough. Now, this couldn't come from John. John can only preach towards getting saved. He couldn't save anybody. He can preach towards cleansing, but he couldn't completely cleanse anybody. He can get people to confess their sins, but they would never know the forgiveness of their sins until they come to know Jesus. Because you can talk to a sinner all day long and talk to a person in the world. You need to act right, do right, be right. But if they don't have anyone to change for or to change to, then they'll do the same old thing again. But now that I know that Jesus is Lord of my life, when I confess my sin, I know I'm confessing my sin to Jesus and my obedience now needs to be to Christ. In other words, the world doesn't need just to be sorry. We need change. Amen. When my kids tell me I'm sorry, I always say sorry didn't do it. Because you can say you're sorry, you're sorry, you're sorry, so after a while, your sorry becomes insincere. But if you change, I always teach them, don't always be sorry, be willing to change. Because if you change, you won't have to keep saying, I'm sorry. You don't have to keep confessing that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just make the change. And that's what John was doing. He was preaching to people that would continually have to say, I'm sorry, or repent of something they did. But when Jesus came on the scene, their sins could be forgiven, right? And that's important. So now let's, let's go to verse 9. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now listen, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, interesting, Jesus was baptized by John. And John said, one is coming greater than me. So in John's mind, Jesus, you need to be baptizing me, but I'm going to baptize you. And it was to be done to fulfill scripture. All right. And there was something that God uniquely was getting ready to do with Jesus's ministry publicly is why John had to baptize Jesus. It's kind of like a changing of the guard. The order was getting ready to change. So John was telling people to repent and he would baptize them for the cleansing temporarily and the washing. But then he turned around and said, but there's one coming greater than me. I use water, but he's going to use the Holy Spirit. In another translation, it says Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. Important to know that. Right. And so it's significant for Jesus to go this way, being that he was the representative figure for mankind, that he was going to not only get us to forgive our sins, but to abolish them. To take them away, to remove them once and for all, which priests could only hear your sins and give you penance acts of duties to do. But Jesus was getting ready now to forgive your sins to where your sins had no longer a hold on you. You know, the scriptures tell us in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. They could not know eternal life through John's ministry, but they could know eternal life through Jesus's ministry. So important for us to know. So Jesus was baptized of John and verse 10, and immediately came up out of the water. Now listen, he saw the heavens opening. You get a picture of this. He saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove. Say like a dove. Like a dove. Say it again. Like a, like a dove. He didn't say it was a dove. <laughs> he said like a dove. And I think relating it to being like a dove, if you've ever been around a dove when it flies, when it comes in for a landing, what does it do? It lights upon something very gently. So he saw the heavens open up and the spirit come down like a dove. And yet we got people with doves on their car. I understand little signs of doves. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm just saying because people are trying to relate to the scripture. Little dove there. Some people have the fish and all these kinds of cross and all this stuff. 
But the point is, he said that the spirit came down like a dove in a light manner. And let me see what he did. Let's look at the scripture. I don't want to tell you what he did. That's what the scriptures tell you. All right. And immediately verse 10, coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Where did the spirit go? He descended upon who? He didn't miss Jesus. He didn't hit the water. He didn't hit John the Baptist. He descended upon Jesus. And a lot of people don't realize that by the spirit coming down was a fulfillment of scripture that God was giving his approval publicly that, let me let the scripture tell you. Because I don't want to say, well, pastor said, no, pastor didn't say anything. The word said it. Look at verse 11. <laughs> and a voice came out of where? Where? Not from the earth, not from anybody else, but out of heaven. And this is what it said. Thou art my beloved son. In thee I am what? Well pleased. Well pleased. We don't even use language like that. You know, I tell my son, I'm pleased with you. Now I can say I'm well pleased with you. Amen. God used language. I am well. I mean, he was fully satisfied with who Jesus was in the earth realm because he was the son of God. God himself in the flesh coming to deliver people from their sin, to fulfill the scripture, to fulfill all things that John had to baptize Jesus so that John can get out of the way. Another part of the scripture said, John said, I must decrease that he might increase. So that was John getting out of the way of what was really going to change the life of the people. He knew that washing was not going to do it. He'd have to wash people day after day after day. But once Jesus came on the sin, there was no more having to wash them from their sins, from their mind, from their consciousness, all the things that the devil would try to put on them. They were completely forgiven when they come to Jesus. And that's what you want to be. You want to be forgiven. You know, a lot of times we go to the priest or people go to the little box and we want to go to the confessional. And this is not a slight on anybody. I'm just saying we go there and we have to continue to go there. And the priest will tell you, what did you do? And you tell them what you did. And they'll tell you some of the things you need to do to get your penance. Well, Jesus says something just a little different. When we turn to Jesus and we confess him as Lord and Savior and we bring him into our life as he comes in, we come into him and we sup with him. He sups with us. And John 15, 7, he said, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. That's a relationship now that God is talking about. And that whole 15th chapter, John, you need to read it at another time. There's so much packed in that 15th chapter out of the book of John, you will love what it says. So God says, I am well pleased. And then you notice in Mark two, you're gonna see a lot of times he uses the term immediately, 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 use it over 30, 40 times as he was talking because it's the action of Jesus. Things were happening immediately, immediately. And then verse 12, and immediately, listen, the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Now that, right there just still gets to me. I think about that because it happened over in Matthew too, where a lot of people don't know that Jesus in his earthly ministry was led by the spirit of God, led by the Holy Spirit of God. And I said that Jesus is also, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, just as he said in Luke four, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, so that was kind of a, an anointing that God did to Jesus. There was a, a type of infilling or a just coming upon Jesus to lead him. So we see here that the spirit led him into the wilderness, led him into the wilderness. 
but I was struck by why he was led into the wilderness. When I listen to the Lord's prayer, which is really the disciples prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, when I look at this and I see where the spirit of God, listen to what it says. Interesting stuff. Verse 12 again, and immediately the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. You see that? Being tempted by Satan. I personally believe, and that's why I say I personally, so you can turn off right now if you want to, because I personally believe that Jesus had to meet the bully. You know, when you go to school and there's always a bully around and if somebody tells you about the bully, you kind of get scared because you've been hearing about the bully all the time doing things. And if you meet the bully where they live and you conquer the bully, pretty much everybody else will be good. I think Jesus had to stand against that which was causing destruction to humanity. And he could not have done any good for us if he hadn't finished what Adam couldn't do. Adam ended up being bullied by Satan, Adam and Eve. Well, now Jesus is in the wilderness. He's out in a place away from everybody. He's out there with wild beasts and everything. And the spirit took him right to the source of evil. He's been anointed by God at this point. His ministry, he's probably about 30 years old at this time. He's getting ready to set things in order so he can get out and be doing the things that he came here for to destroy the works of the devil. So he had to meet the bully head on. And look at what happened. Well, verse 13 again, he was in the wilderness 40 days. That's a long time being tempted by Satan and he was with wild beasts and angels were ministering to him. So we see in the same situation that here Jesus is out there being tested. So Mark doesn't give you what Matthew gives you. You know, and I'm going to turn to Matthew real quick so you can see while he was out there 40 days, what was actually happening to him. And so we'll just look over there on Matthew chapter four. So you see a, a different angle of it. Same story, temptation of Jesus. And it says in verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. A little more information there. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And then Jesus began to deal with the bully this way in verse four. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. So the bully doesn't stop there in verse five. Then the devil took him into a holy city and he had him stand on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you. It says on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said again, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And the bully said one more time, <laughs> verse eight. And again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now we see what the bully was after. He was after worship. He wanted the service of the humanity and people to serve him. He got Adam to serve him. He got all the humanity to serve him. And now he wants Jesus to serve him. And look at what Jesus says to him in verse 10. This was what was going on in the wilderness. He was out there for 40 days and 40 nights. And these kinds of attacks were coming to him. And so you know that if they came to Jesus, they're going to come to you. The only difference between us and Jesus, most of us haven't fasted 40 days 
and 40 nights. The Bible says he was hungry, right? He was hungry. I mean, by that time after 40 days, scientists tell you that your body starts to become hungry. You know, I mean, when you go into fasting, if you've done any fasting before, after the third day, your digestive system shuts down. You go into a state called ketosis, where your body transfers from eating ingested food to eating the energy stored on your body, which is better known as fat. Amen? So you're really not going without food. You're just eating the fat that's on your body. Now, I know I could stand to fast a little more. I'll talk about me because I ain't talking about you. You get upset. When I say I'm hungry, I'm really not hungry. All this food on me, I'm not hungry. I am not hungry and not starving, right? If I can just get past three days, praise Jesus. <laughs> but people say they're fasting when a lot of times people are doing abstinence. You cannot fast for one day. You can abstain and you can enter into abstinence, meaning abstaining from sugar or coffee or Coca-Cola, German chocolate cake with pecans all on it, all those kinds of things. You know, you can abstain from eating burgers. And, but if you fast, you must spend three days just drinking water so that your digestive system can switch over and start the, the state of ketosis where it starts to eat on your body. Jesus fasted 40 days. Moses fasted 40 days. Elijah fasted 40 days. Usually when there's a 40 day fast, there is a world changing thing that's getting ready to happen. God's getting ready to do something nationally and internationally. He's getting ready to do something very heavy because he needs the total person's being in obedience to him and obedient to him. So when you fast that long, you know, you're basically shutting your flesh down. You're killing your flesh and your spirit is coming forth with hunger for the things of God. So now I don't know whether Jesus at that point was hungry for food because Satan tempted with food or whether he was now more hungry for the will of God to be done. That's something you could think about. Important, right? So in verse 10, and Jesus said to him, be gone or get behind me for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now look at what happened after three major trial temptation where Satan tried to bully Jesus, the son of God. Verse 11, then the devil left him. See, when the devil is bothering you, we haven't fought back rightly. Because when Jesus fought him, the three times he came to him with these three ideas that he could get him to uh, be tempted to do something on his own accord and not being led by the Holy Spirit. It says, then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Do you know today that there's still such a thing as angels? You don't hear in the church them talk about angels hardly ever. But their angels ministered to Jesus. Do You know that there are angels around us right now. There's angels all around. Let me say this. Nobody has a guardian angel. We have guards of angels around us. There's nothing in scripture that tells you you have an angel assigned to you and it is your guardian angel. No, there are a heap of angels around every person who ministers the word of God and those who are called according to salvation from God. These angels are there to help minister and usher us into a place of receiving God. And though they may not actually uh, be something you can touch, handle or see, they are here all around us. And you need to be cognizant that there are spiritual beings around you at all times. So when you're out during the day, your angels that God has sent to minister to you are with you. 
The Holy Spirit is with you. The Word of God is with you. And if God be for us, who can really be successful against us? Amen. So we got to get back into understanding that angels, you have a scripture in Hebrews where people say, well, you know, be careful how you treat people because you could be entertaining an angel unaware. Well, in that case, I understand what they're saying, but you know, back then they called messengers of the gospel angels. And a lot of times you don't know that God has a person on a mission, that they come, they have a mission and a purpose to preach the gospel. And you may have to take that person into your home and that could be entertaining an angel unaware. You see, now we know over when we saw in, in Sodom where the angels came and they showed up. Well, they were very visible. In fact, they manifested themselves to Lot and told Lot what to do with his family. So he wasn't entertaining angels unaware. So God will send them out. But I just want you to be aware that there are angels with you at all times. But don't place the angels over the protection of God himself. They are there working for God, ministering to those who are heirs of salvation. Know that you have angels with your children. Angels always around. The angels came after Jesus' temptation and ministered. Amen. Let's go back over to Mark. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to have to quit right now. I just want to stop right here and just take what we have and ingest what we have. Think about what we have. Meditate on what I've shared with you thus far. Believe me, we're going to get through the book of Mark. We're going to get through it. Amen.